Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. It has been a couple of weeks, it seems like, I think. Uh, sounds about right. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go dark on everybody. There was no specific reason why, as opposed to just kind of going on vacation and just kind of getting busy a little bit here and there. Having a couple episodes kind of get pushed back a little bit farther than what was had been originally anticipated. So at that point, things kind of get becomes a domino effect and unfortunately i don't get to um kind of dictate when i do an episode because i'm I'm at the mercy of any guests that i bring on obviously which has been great to this point i've had a lot of amazing guests in terms of how they've been very easy to work with in that regard but anyway i uh wanted to take a second before we got going on today's episode um because that vacation i went on a little over a week ago. Actually, I got back a week from from when I'm recording this. And it was a Lake Powell trip. And it was kind of a mess. It was kind of funny, but it was kind of a mess. And I'm going to take you through what was so bad about it. Oh, all in all, just full disclosure, I had a lot of fun still. I mean, Powell is still Powell even when things go wrong. But it uh it definitely was not it did not go as planned. And we were supposed to go from Wednesday to Sunday. This is a week and a half ago, about. Um, the plan was to get to the marina in Waweep, kind of like Wednesday early afternoon. Well, first problem was that uh, apparently there was like the the rudder was bent or something for the for the ski boat that we were taking down, that my friend Trevor was taking down. Now. This is uh, Trevor Back, who was actually on one of the earlier podcasts talking about the Goatman story, right? Trevor, wildly entertaining guy, avid listener of the podcast, so this is a shout-out to you, Trev. Probably not one that you exactly are welcoming, but regardless, you're getting it, bud. Um, anyway, we're having ski boat problems, so um, the crew I was going down with, we got down there earlier than expected, and... We beat everybody, so we're sitting there kind of waiting for an hour, kind of around Page, Arizona, Wawit Marina. Well, they tell us to kind of how to access the houseboat. So we go down. It's an older houseboat. Uh, Trevor bought into this houseboat. It's it's uh, They got an amazing deal on it, and great for them. Like, it was, it's still a houseboat. It's still awesome. And it was really – I actually liked it. It was cool. And um, anyway, so we get down there, and we're waiting for everybody. Um, they don't get down there till Wednesday evening. So obviously we're thinking, well, let's just sleep in the marina tonight, leave out early tomorrow morning. So that's the plan. So we don't leave until kind of like late morning, sort of uh, mid-morning from the marina the next day. So it's Thursday, about 9 a.m., and we're finally leaving. Turns out as we're leaving, I actually was on the jet skis um, so that we could then kind of like meet up later out in the slip and start towing the jet skis to our location well as i'm kind of out in the jet skis doing my own thing turns out they discover a problem with one of the motors it's not really working it's not actually going down to where it needs to be in order to push push the boat in any way that matters so trevor's in there kind of steering aimlessly trying not to hit things things got pretty crazy almost hit a couple boats apparently not really having a whole lot of control of the situation unfortunately but it was Kind of nuts. Anyway, we finally, like, one of the ski boats is able to tow Trevor out to kind of more in the open area of the slip. And then we start kind of looking at things. 
and are working on it and finally are able to get to the motor down somehow and we're like well let's go let's go out to where we we're trying to go which is kind of into antelope canyon as we are on our way there you know trevor's dad had left before we even left the marina to go scout out a location and so we're just planning on like meeting up with him at some point because there's no real service in that area pat certainly not past antelope marina and it would have taken about an hour to get to antelope marina on the houseboat and then pass that to our location but we weren't sure where that location was so we had to just wait till we ran into him well we meet up to him he's super low on gas we're uh trying to get the jet skis going so that way we can kind of like help out some with location scouting and things like that well we discover one of the jet skis is no longer working now that wasn't my fault uh you can ask trevor about that as well um and then uh what happens is i end up going with trevor's dad to pick up his wife and his daughter-in-law who are meeting up with us at the antelope marina and we discover when we get to the marina that antelope marina is out of gas we're only working on gravity and i'm like well we don't have a choice so let's just park up here trevor's dad goes to find his wife i'm sitting there just filling up and i put that in air quotes aggressive air quotes because we're not getting anything it took like 20 minutes we got like a gallon of gas for that boat so we're that gas that boat is super low and we still don't know how far we have to go anyway finally we get to a place where we get all the stuff in the boat we then start heading out to meet up with the houseboat and we finally find them and it's like evening at this point like we're starting to lose daylight we find them and they still haven't like anchored down or anything like they're still trying to dock like to, to like post up the houseboat and its location so we jump on the houseboat and we're starting to like help out with things it takes us another hour to get it situated and we basically lost a day and a half so we don't really start taking advantage of powell until like friday morning and at that point we still we only have till sunday but that's not all uh thursday night as we had posted up the houseboat in its location we discover that the generator is not working because the night before in the marina all we did was just plug into the marina and we were fine we didn't need to worry about power issues with the generator can't get the generator to work so that means no air conditioning, no light, no power at all for at all for the houseboat. We're like, well, perfect. So we go all of Friday thinking like maybe like maybe we can go back to the marina Friday night or whatever. We decide to stay two days with no power, and we go out a few times on the ski boats. It's still honestly a lot of fun. The, probably the most entertaining part was having the blob. Uh, that Trevor bought with a friend from China, perhaps illegally. We filled that thing up, and we were jumping off the top of the houseboat and popping people out. Like we're talking the blob straight up from heavyweights. So it really was a fun time. Anyway, we come back Saturday afternoon to the marina in Waweep, but even that comes with more issues. Uh, we just go straight to the marina that night. But we're low on gas. We barely make it back. And we can't fill up because we're past that time. And it's steering the houseboat is a, is a total mess, apparently. And we are finally able to make it back barely in time for, like, daylight. And hook up the power and everything. Take it out back, back out the next Sunday morning so that we can take it to the sanitation station as well as fill it up with gas. And that was just a mess because we almost hit a couple boats on the way there and on the way back. All in all, we got about a day and a half 
of ski boat time out in the location in Powell and Antelope Canyon <laughs> with a whole lot of headaches. And Trevor even said himself he wished he hadn't gone because just like it wasn't like it was this the stress to enjoyment ratio was way off kilter. He was way more stressed than anything else. And I don't blame him because all stress roads went through Trevor. It was his trip. He But with that said, I really did have a fun time. And the people I went with had a fun time. So uh, no skin off my nose. It was still worth it in my mind. Granted, I wasn't Trevor, so I can't really speak for him. But anyway, that was my Lake Powell adventure. It was kind of nuts. But uh, Lake Powell is still a freaking good time. I would encourage anybody that hasn't experienced it to go out there. Um, I think you got to do the houseboat thing as long as you have a houseboat that's generator that has a working generator and then you get power. But if not, I don't know. Maybe maybe try something else. But really, really fun time still. And uh, thank you, Trevor and Shannon and his family for hosting us. It really was a fun time. All right. So for today's episode, Chase Bartholomew comes back on. He is obviously an OG for the podcast. And for today's topics, we kind of address a couple of things. We wanted to talk about the name change for Dixie State University from Dixie State to Utah State Polytechnic University or something along those lines. Um, But they're going to, I guess they're going to go by the nickname uh, Utah Tech. Anyway, we address that just a little bit. And then we talk about BYU-Hawaii requiring COVID vaccinations for all their students in order to attend there, which I also thought was interesting because that's directly connected to the church, obviously. So we had some thoughts on that. And and for the first time in a while, Chase and I actually are on opposing sides there. Um, anyway, hope it's enjoyable for you all. I hope this is a nice welcome back for me. If you're upset, I'm very sorry. Um, always open to more ideas to talk about things. I've been getting great feedback still and some great fodder from friends of what to talk about. Some things that uh, you do have to look forward to me addressing um, is I want to ta- I want to bring a friend on talking about kind of Pride Month. It's a Andy Winkier who's been on the podcast before talking about kind of BYU and homosexuality and that whole thing. Talk about Pride Month and address some of that. Um, I have on the docket next month sometime to talk with a friend of mine from BYU. We were in the same ward. Uh, she got married, and then shortly after she got married, her husband was – she. I think she was in it too. I don't know. We'll get the details from her at some point. They were in an accident, and he um, lost the use of his legs. And so that's been an, a huge adjustment for her and and him, obviously. And I just wanted to get her take because it's her name's Jill and she's an amazing person. She's got a great attitude about everything. And so I did want to hear kind of her take because it hasn't been easy. And she's posted a lot about it very, very openly. And so I wanted to get her on to talk about that. Among other things, obviously, um, at some point I'm going to have a couple friends on. We're going to do a little fun episode on drafting our favorite Mormon celebrities. So you'll have that to look forward to as well. And I think that'll be sooner than later. I'm still planning on bringing Lisa Roger back on as well as another friend of mine that's on the East Coast who had agreed to come on as well. I just need to organize it with them. We're going to talk about more kind of blacks in the priesthood type situation. Um, my friend on the East Coast is also black. He's been a member of the church his whole life. And it's um, something that I've been wanting to cover for a little bit. I talked about bringing Lisa back on, and that's still in the works. So anyway, hope you all are doing great. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you're looking forward to having a great week. And uh, please, I'm always open to feedback. So anything you want to reach out on, anything you want me to cover, or any issues you might have, by all means, come to me. Let's talk about it. And uh, I just want things to be clear. So love y'all and uh, 
Have a good one. Mormons are my favorite. They're my favorite. Yeah, okay. They're absolutely my favorite. All Mormons are nutty Mormons. Mormons are the nicest cult of all time. Beautiful, and these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. (laughs) Everybody's so nice in Utah. Just being a Mormon's nutty. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. My favorite religion is Mormons. They're the nicest people. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, Chase. It's been a minute, um, but we're back. I mean, it's been it's been close to two weeks actually uh, since I've recorded last. Um, no hiatus for any real reasons besides the fact that I've been busy out of town and things like that. Um, happy to have you on back here with me to break that hiatus. I wanted to talk specifically with you about a few things and get your take. But before we do that, you have some big news in your life. Yeah, I uh, just finished up uh, internal medicine residency, got that uh, box checked, and now moving on to the next thing and uh, got a job in Utah. I'll be starting up in July. So a little bit uh, overwhelming, a little terrifying to be out on my own now, but at the same time, uh, definitely ready to be done with this chapter of my life. And finally, being able to settle back in Utah is definitely a big plus, so Overall, definitely stoked about the direction things are headed. Which, yeah, major congratulations there. Finishing residency is no small feat. During COVID, too. That's a really interesting time to become a doctor. But um, not become a doctor because you had been a doctor during that point. But, you know, being your residency for that and everything, that's really interesting. But um, I'm curious, were you always dead set on coming back to Utah? Was this something that you were always gunning for? Or were you kind of open to other options? I mean, had I been married and all that before all this, I, I would have been very open to exploring other places and, um, you know, wh- whoever I was with, you know, making something work for both of us. But since I'm single and since, you know, it, as a single LDS guy, everyone, you know, you're kind of always gunning to get back to Utah. And that's kind of been the goal um, in mind. Other, I would have considered maybe Arizona if Utah wasn't going to work out because um, I, I did have, I felt like. I did pretty well dating in Arizona and that's always a, a decent uh, a Utah 2.0 in a way. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to get back to Utah and the big issue was a finding a, a job in Utah because there's so many LDS doctors that want to get back there. It's pretty and oversaturated. B, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then B, you know, sometimes if you want to be a physician in Utah, you have to take a pay cut. So that, that was one concern, but you know, luckily I was able to find a situation where I was able to kind of get an opt an optimum situation that I didn't have to sacrifice too much in in that way. So that was uh, it was actually overall a good situation for me. So you were more driven by your status in your romantic life than kind of your professional life. It sounds like not to say that you weren't driven by your professional life, but yeah. it certainly didn't weigh as much. It sounds like right. You were looking more kind of for how to how to get to the point where you could date and you know, be on that path once again. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of people in medicine, it's like, that is their life. Like the, they, they define themselves as a doctor. They, they like everything in their life is it revolves around that. For me, I kind of see myself more as just a regular dude who happens to be a doctor. And I mean, I like what I do. I'm, I'm passionate about it, but it, I just feel like my priorities are spread out a little bit more than, than maybe your average doctor. So. So definitely, you know, having that priority, being able to start a family and all that, and obviously being LDS and facing the, the, the astronomically terrible odds of 
you know, 2% of the population being your dating pool, you kind of have to find a place where you're, you have a decent chance of catching someone. So. Yeah. You're not wrong. Like the, in terms of like how you view yourself in the context of being a doctor, because honestly, doctors kind of suck. And I know a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, here's the problem is everyone's got a certain number of points, right. That they can like put into their personality and and their, and their characteristics. And doctors tend to have too many points in one basket. And that tends to sacrifice in other ways and other aspects of their personality. And so you don't meet a whole lot of like charismatic, fun, interesting doctors because they're just so honed in on that one thing that they, they, things are going to be lacking. Well, and I, that's not to say that the ones that I have as friends that I'm like, no, yeah, I don't like them. No, like some of my really good friends, obviously you and mine, my really good friends, a lot of them are doctors. It's kind of funny how many doctors I know. But as I've grown older, the more and more surgeons I've gotten to know specifically, I'm like, you, like, you have to be insane to be a surgeon. I'm convinced. Like you have to be nuts to some degree. Yeah, it's not, it's With not that a great. <laughs> one of our good friends is a surgeon. Yeah. Um, he's who I was in Mexico with actually, but, um, yeah, like the part of it, I, I would even say that like this friend of ours to some degree is like, he's kind of losing who he, his identity. And I think he would even admit that like his identity is now becoming, I'm a surgeon as opposed to I'm this guy who is also a surgeon. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of dedication. I mean, no matter what kind of doctor you are, there's going to be a degree of that, but the longer your residency is, the more, you know, competitive your specialty is, the more it's going to become that way. And so absolutely, you know, that's, that's a, that's a rough field and uh, you know, they, they get compensated for what they do, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a cutthroat world to be a surgeon. Question. Okay. So now that you've finished up your residency, you're coming back to Utah to start a job here. Are you entering the housing market? What's that like? So I'm still mulling that decision over. Um, I mean, part of me is a little intimidated by just how much everything's gone up so quickly. And I mean, I'm no like guru with this stuff, but you know, just kind of reminiscent of how 2008 felt and how everything fell apart then. And I would hate to, you know, uh, buy into something and then have it, have it fall out from underneath me like that. On the other hand, you know, these physician loans they have are pretty sweet where you can get quite a bit without having to put a down payment and get a really good rate. Um, I think it's just that these mortgage companies have found that physicians are like a reliable group to, to lend to. So you get kind of a special deal that way, but at the same time, I think they make you, there are certain things that you have to do. And my job particularly is more going to be more production based for what I get paid. And so I won't, I don't have like in my contract, like the amount of money necessarily I'm going to make for sure guaranteed. And so that limits my ability, I think right out of the gate to get something. So I might just rent for a year or something and then kind of reassess things, but we'll see. Are you going to be a doctor in his thirties? That's going to be living in his parents' basement. Cause that would be <laughs> wild. That's a, I would well, watch that sitcom. I honestly, I, you know, I, I'll probably have to do that for a month or two. And then after that, I, I think I'll drive myself crazy if I do it any longer than that. And, you know, it's just something about bringing a girl home to my parents' basement (laughs) at age 33 while being employed as a physician just, it feels too, I mean, as much as I admire George Costanza, it's just a little too much George Costanza for me. So I'll have to find something. We'll have you on the podcast to talk about those experiences as well. So (laughs) no worries. We'll provide the outlet for you. But yeah, the Utah housing market's insane right now. And you do kind of wonder though, like, 
even if there is a dip coming or even a bubble that's about to pop, which I don't think there's a bubble per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it does kind of seem like, well, even if it dips, if you wait 10 years, it'll still go right back. So it's like if you're buying a house that you know you're going to stay in for 10 years or at least keep maybe as a secondary residence or something like that. And I don't yeah. know. It's just hard to say for sure, man. On the other hand, though, if you wait until the dip and then buy, then 10 years from now, you've doubled your, you know, you doubled the value of your house. Whereas if it dips after you buy, then you're just going to break even maybe at the end of it. So there's still that Good to point. consider. Um, Good point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be fun to go buy a house, you know, been putting this like putting off these kinds of things way longer than I would have anticipated. But I don't know, it is it is a big commitment to go purchase a home. So yeah, it really is. Anyway, good luck with that process. If you do end up in your parents basement. Awesome. Can't wait to hear the stories (laughs) about that. Save lots of money that way. So yeah, it's very true. Um, Okay, let's transition into something that I've been wanting to talk about, actually. So have you, um, I know, well, actually, I know you have because we've kind of even talked about it a little bit. So Dixie State changes their name officially to Utah Polytechnic University. So I think they'll be known as, for short, Utah Tech. Which, are they even okay. in D1? Are they like, are they an FBS school? For, for I don't think they are. No, or are they no. recently? Is SUU recently? Maybe SUU is. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't think Dixie or excuse me, Poly Technicolor Dreamcoat University. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I, I think that. Yeah, I think I don't think they are. Well, sp- speaking of the term Polytechnic, which I know is like the actual term, I was very proud of myself for coming up with this on Twitter, which, by the way, got no love. That was saying Utah. Like I was like, is Polytechnic is probably going to be offensive to Polynesians in about ten years anyway? So why are we even changing it to that? <laughs> yeah, you can't win, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just it, what this shows to me more than anything is there's there's just too many busybodies out there with nothing to do. I, I I don't even know how do you get down the list this far of things you know to check off the social justice checklist that we're worried about the names of universities in Southern Utah. I just there's just there's too many meetings, too many committees too many people that need to justify their job somehow by coming up with these ideas. It's way more complicated than people want to make it. That's, and that's the big thing. And I like, it does become super complex and um, I don't know, but we've, we've certainly let emotion dictate our actions. There's no question about that. Right. I mean, we, the, I, I actually, this is something I came up with just last week. I feel like we're living in a post Harambe world because I swear <laughs> that's when everything became crazy. Like that was the first time I remember being like, how is it possible that there are people legitimately arguing against the fact that we shouldn't have killed a gorilla because there was a, I don't know, like a four year old boy's life at stake. And there were people that were like, well, the boy shouldn't have been playing that close to the cage or he shouldn't have been goofing around. And it's like, and or they were like, don't shoot to kill. And it's like the boy is literally like his life is in the hands of a gorilla that nobody knows which direction it's going to go. Like nobody knows. <laughs> he was already dragging him around and people were arguing against killing this gorilla for the, it for the sake of this little boy's life. And I'm like, that's so insane to me. I really believe that was the first time where I was just like, this is, makes no sense. And since then, it's just been like 
now we're getting on on a weekly basis. Post-Harambe world. These are the same people who comment on KSL articles when they have to shoot a, like a cougar that it's like, Oh, we're in their territory. You know, that, you know, this, this is their land. We are just a cancer on the face of the earth. And these are the people who want people to die basically because they think that humans, bad animals, good. Do they hate themselves? Is that where this comes from? Well, that's the thing. If they hate, if they hate, you know, humanity so much, you know, what about them? Are they, do they, do they identify as an animal or, uh, I'm a little confused about it, but somehow they make it work in their own brains. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of mental gymnastics going into that one. Anyway, yeah, what do you think about that post Harambe world? Doesn't that seem like kind of the line? The Harambe line is like when everything just started, people just started getting crazy. That could be kind of a, a variation of your clown world shirt, but just have Harambe yeah. space post Harambe <laughs> world. We're all just living in a post Harambe world. Anyway, um, all right, let's deviate from this. Uh, it does feel weird being a couple white guys that <laughs> don't know, that have never really experienced racism. Let's be honest, call a spade a spade. I mean, I did in Mexico as a missionary, but it was very light and like I never really felt threatened or anything. But people yeah. definitely brought up um, certain aspects of uh, who I was just based on my skin color alone. You know, that's it. That's all it was. But anyway, um, in no way has that affected kind of my well-being or anything like that. So I just want to go on record saying that, but um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, especially as a physician. Did you hear that BYU Hawaii is requiring COVID vaccinations for all their students that attend there? Is that like a unique to BYU Hawaii or is that like a, a normal policy that's coming into effect? I haven't heard much about it. About like a lot, bunch of schools or private schools or public schools? Yeah. Are, are there schools out there that are doing this or is it just BYU? I have no idea. Nothing. I have no idea. But just the fact that BYU Hawaii is doing that seems kind of like an overreach to me. BYU Provo is not requiring it. They're just encouraging it for whatever that means. Mm. I don't understand that personally. I don't like this is the first time it's ever been required to do anything like to get a vaccination in order to do attend somewhere. I mean, that's never been a thing. You don't, have you ever had to show proof of vaccination in order to do anything in this country? Well, they, they made a big deal about those vaccination cards when this first started rolling out and it seemed like, Oh, you're going to have to show this everywhere you go. But it seems like most corporations have kind of just taken the honor, the honor policy or um, as far as that goes, you know, they say you can go into the store without a mask on. Yeah if you've been vaccinated, but they're not asking you to show proof of that. Um, and the whole flying thing isn't necessarily, it has nothing to do with the U S government. As far as I know, like being able to fly with COVID vaccination has more to do with countries that require you to have it in order to visit there. So that's mm-hmm. nothing really the U S government. I don't think is enacting specifically. Well, and I wonder if some of this has to do with Hawaii state policy, um, because I know that I'm you sure were it has saying- something. Yeah, because what you you were saying when you were in Hawaii, they had like ridiculous rules about like if you wanted to fly to one island, you had to like get vaccinated or you had to like prove that you would test a negative or something. So it could be that Hawaii is just stricter and BYU Hawaii is just complying with what they need to do to like keep their good standing with the state of Hawaii. But um, I don't know. I mean, I got vaccinated. I was fine with it. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, it seems. It, 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 for people who have not gotten COVID, it seems somewhat worthwhile to do on the basis of 
they've shown that uh, your likelihood of transmitting COVID to a vulnerable person is less likely if you've been vaccinated. On the other hand, though, I think everyone who wants to get vaccinated has had more than enough opportunity to do it at this point. And so if you're a vulnerable individual, except in the few exceptions where maybe medications you're on would preclude you from getting the vaccine, uh, you know, people who want to protect themselves with the vaccine have had the chance to do that. So I think you know, mandating that on the rest of society at this point seems a bit extreme to me, um, particularly young, healthy kids in college. Uh, I'm not really sure what the what the what the point of that is, um, but I, I don't know all the details. If there's something about the state of Hawaii that's enforcing this too, so yeah, I'm sure they play a role there because yeah, Hawaii is extremely strict about the whole thing, um, and especially in my own experience. But yeah, you just hear that. Um, for whatever reason. I mean, most blue states are, like, quite frankly, um, mm. more strict than red states. There's no secret about that. But yeah, I th- I saw that and I thought, wow, like, it's a private school in, I mean, granted, it's in Hawaii, a very blue state. I still thought it was interesting that the church essentially caved to that because it's unprecedented. It just, it just is. It you've never seen that before and you're seeing a lot of interesting stuff from the church in general. And this is something I want to hit on on another podcast at some point and probably get the, I want to get the perspective of a parent or two, if possible. Um, a friend of mine who I had served with had pointed out to me a coloring picture in the friend magazine and it was titled, I can be brave. And it's a picture of a young girl holding a teddy bear getting a shot in the arm. It's not overtly a COVID-19 shot, but it's very obvious kind of what that all goes around, what it's circulating around kind of the sentiment right now. And I don't think you'd see that sketch to be colored in the friend within the last 50 years um, if it wasn't COVID related. So it's got to be driven by COVID and it's endorsed by the church, basically showing kids a scenario in which they should be brave and let the doctor inject them with say, for example, a COVID-19 vaccine. And I thought that was interesting. Like that seems like now granted the church has doesn't make any bones about it. Call it, call it what you will, but it's essentially indoctrinating children at a young age. Right. But everybody gets indoctrinated. That's the camp I'm in. Like every child in order to, have any type of viewpoints in life has to get indoctrinated to one degree or another, whether or not they're in a church or not, their parents are going to do it for whatever else. So I don't know. Where's the line there, I guess, because it's not gospel related at all. Well, I mean, kids being afraid of getting shots is nothing new. That, well, that, that, like you think that would be in there if it wasn't for COVID? Well, I think people are talking about vaccinations more in general. I'm not sure the church is like trying to insert some like pro-COVID vaccine propaganda into the magazine as much as it is. People are just talking more about vaccines in general. Wait, you don't? What? I think it's overtly a pro-COVID-19 vaccine, and I think it's specifically aimed towards children. I really do. Well, I'm surprised but for, you don't. But, but kids aren't like sitting there like worried about the COVID vaccine as opposed to any other vaccine. Kids just know vaccines hurt. They're not like, oh, this could have chemicals in it that are going to be dangerous because it's not tested as much as the other vaccines. Like Kids aren't thinking that. Well, obviously not, but still just the idea that like they're talking about like, getting a COVID shot at this time right now 
and seeing that picture of getting of a girl being a, getting a shot and it saying I can be brave, like it's mm. it's not just a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Well, ki- kids get vaccines like every few months. When you're b- between the age of like when you're a little baby and, and you're 12 years old, you're getting vaccines like every time you go to the doctor. So it's not like this is anything new for them. I, it's not like one more vaccine is going to like make a difference for them. So I get where you're coming from. And I understand like, yeah, it kind of looks funny because of the context of the COVID vaccine. But for kids, I don't, there's not like a, for them, this isn't like a big issue. They're just getting another vaccine on top of the dozens of others they get. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from too, but I just think it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you're the church, like now's not the time. Like, it's just, it's too divisive. It's too divisive. And the church is like yeah. clearly kind of making us taking a stance there. And, that, and this is one area where you and I are probably going to disagree. I think conservatives are being way too, way too skeptical about the vaccine in general, to be honest. I, I, I think, uh, and the funny, the funny, the thing, the funny thing about it to me is like Trump is the one that pushed the vaccine in the first place. And all these conservatives were all singing his praises when he was like, yeah, we're going to get the vaccine out by the end of the year. And the media was laughing at him and we, you know, all these conservatives had his back. And then when they have a chance to get the vaccine themselves, like, Oh, I don't want that. And it's like, well, I thought you were all behind Trump getting the vaccine out and now you're not. So what's, what's, there what's, is what's no opinion? question that a large faction of the conservative side of the aisle is very like vaccine hesitant. There's no question about that. From what I understand though, in terms of demographics, the uh it's kind of like the uh what is it the the um the minorities i think actually have some of the highest percentages of vaccine hesitancy if i'm not mistaken um specifically the black community has talked a lot about that which that makes sense because they have a very complicated history with science in general obviously tuskegee study and things like that but anyway um regardless you're not wrong about that there's a huge subset of the conservatives that it's like there's some irony there because trump is saying we're gonna like do it in record time and all that stuff but with that said i've talked to some specifically that were hesitant even when trump was talking about it so it wasn't like that they're necessarily um, contradicting themselves but um and you're right we aren't totally gonna agree here now i'm not one of those that's like super anti-vaccine or anything like that i haven't gotten one but i got covid and now I'm seeing that they're saying that if you got COVID, you actually don't need the vaccine. Have you been seeing yeah. that too? No, and yeah. I, 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 if someone told me they had COVID and if they were young like you, I wouldn't sit there and pressure them into getting the vaccine. So and, admittedly, yeah. I can kind of play both sides on this. I'll be yeah. honest. And it is convenient for me to do that. But it's like, I don't need to look into it myself deeply and be like, should I get the vaccine? So I've not put in like an, a, a lot of aggressive thought into this because I don't feel like I've had to because of what you said. I'm young, healthy, and I got COVID mm-hmm. so and survived yeah. it. I shouldn't need it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, it's just we live in a hard – it's really hard these days to get facts because it feels like everything you hear, no matter where you're hearing it from, it, 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 it's There's fed to side. you with a – it's one well, it's fed to you with a spoon of propaganda mixed in there. It's really hard to find pure unadulterated data anymore because everyone's got an agenda. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how uh, notable you are, or how like wh- where you stand in terms of like the government and everything. It seems that no matter where you get your information these days, it is fe- it's fed to you with a spoon of propaganda. And it's really hard to weed that out and find 
find the happy medium in between and get just the straight facts. It's almost impossible to be honest. Well, and I've talked about this before. Isn't it fascinating that we live in a time where the techno the unprecedented technology that we are like inundated with is giving us more reasons not to believe. Like it's supposed to p- provide proof of things when in reality, all it does is prov- provide anti-proof in a sense. Uh-huh. And there's so many different ways now people are saying this, that, or the other. And it's we we actually have more reason to doubt, even though we've never had more means of providing truth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's well, kinda, very fascinating. I saw a tweet today about like someone who missed Blockbuster because it was just like back in the days, you could go to the movie store, you had a limited selection. You go in there, you just pick your movie and you go with it. And I feel like a lot of like information is the same way now. There's so many options on where to get your information now. It's almost more confusing than it was before where you just had like a few different sources and it was just simplified and, and I think less, less, uh, less, less muddied. And so now, now I think that's the best analogy for modern information is that we don't have Blockbuster anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. Is weird a weird time we're living in? Unprecedented availability of communication, but for some reason nobody believes anybody. But anyway, um, now let's go ahead and kind of close things out here. Um, and I want to talk about an experience you had literally just last night, I believe. Yeah, kind of funny. So I I was up in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, my parents had been in town for my graduation and just helping me move out and stuff, and so they were staying up there. And uh, I was up in their hotel room and. Uh, I had, a, I had a thing of ice cream in my hand and then I, my sister wanted some pictures off of my camera. So I went down to get the camera chip and I walked through the hotel lobby and I hear, and I was wearing a BYU shirt that I'd been wearing that day. And I hear someone yell like, Oh, uh, go Cougs or something like that. And I look over and, uh, there's a couple guys in suits and I'm like, Oh, are you guys BYU fans? And, uh, they came over and started talking to me. They were older gentlemen in their sixties, seventies. And, um, uh, and one of them uh, said, pointed to the other guy, and he's like, "Yeah, this guy was a BYU quarterback." And I, I, I didn't Im- immediately recognize the guy, so I'm like, "Oh, what was your name?" And he's like, oh, "I'm Gifford Nielsen." <laughs> and, uh, and when I was when I first heard that story, I was so disappointed in you, so disappointed. Yeah, I mean, you were tell you were saying how I should have recognized him immediately, but I feel like he's not necessarily one of like the. Like because he was a little bit before he was a little earlier in in the in the BYU like glory days that he's he not he like honestly that- started the dominoes he really did now like we, like yeah. we had talked about Gary Scheide was before him Virgil Carter was before him both pretty freaking good quarterbacks and especially for their time but mm. they really don't compare to like the pantheon of BYU quarterbacks that really was Gifford Nielsen Will Mark Wilson Jim McMahon Steve Young Robbie Bosco like it was just like one after the other you know, yeah. right then and there. And that was just crazy unprecedented to have that many good quarterbacks and as good as they were. Anyway, sorry. Cut you yeah, off. Well, and, and if I, re- if I ran into anyone McMahon and beyond, I would have, I would recognize them in public, but I was going to ask you that. Yeah, so that's, yeah. what's funny to me. So you wouldn't recognize Mark Wilson. You don't think, I don't think so. I, I, I'm sure if I looked him up right now, I would recognize it, but I can't picture Mark Wilson's face right now. I'll be honest. I can picture his face. Context would go a long way for him though. Because if I saw someone like Mark Wilson in a in a hotel lobby randomly, especially in Colorado Springs, I'd be like, I don't know, like, I would maybe be able to put it together, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
but I would, it's not something that I would maybe come out with myself and be like, are you Mark Wilson? <laughs> Cause like, yeah. if he wasn't, I feel really stupid. But if they were like, yeah, this is Mark Wilson. Then I'd be like, I thought that was you, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to say anything. So anyway, it would be kind of like yeah. that for me, but Gifford Nielsen, I absolutely would have recognized because yeah. for whatever reason or another, like I always really liked him. I, I was telling you, he was going to win the Heisman trophy like back mm -hmm. in 78. It was like a, a lock and then he got injured. Um, and that was the last of his BYU career is really sad, but he went, and I even also said, I'm, it's probably not fair to you that I'm castigating you for not recognizing him right away. Granted, he is speaking in conference now, so that's on you as well. Yeah. And he does well, talk about his football experiences in conference. Well, what's funny is I remembered that talk and I, I even like tweeted about his talk. Cause I thought I was, I can't remember. I made some joke about the fact that he was doing like a football theme talk. Um, probably about Uchtdorf and airplanes. Yeah, so, something like that. But but then in the moment when I was talking to him in person, I, I even though it was like a guy in a suit and they said they were there for a state conference, like for some reason in the moment, I wasn't like thinking I'm talking to a 70 here. I just thought I was talking to some guy and I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like that was he's a 70. Like he was he just spoke in conference. But like in the moment, I didn't think about it. So I'm glad I didn't call him like dude or bro or something. But <laughs> hey, um, man. <laughs> but no but it was cool he was really friendly he he was really he he asked about why i was there and so i told him about graduating from residency and he was very complimentary about that i thought i appreciated it so very nice very nice gentleman uh definitely good thing you didn't ask if yeah. you were married man you would have you would have felt that one for sure yeah he's probably he, he's probably wondering what this uh guy graduating from residency was doing uh without a wedding ring on but and we didn't get into that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that said, it does seem like the church is making like specific efforts to not make us non-marrieds feel like bad or weird or whatever. That's because we're leaving in droves, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think that's why, though, personally. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I don't care that they make us feel uncomfortable. They should make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah, we should. But... We're, we're, we're abnormal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that like the famous... I don't know if it's famous, but there was like a quote from President Kimball that said something along the lines of like, how would you describe the gospel to somebody? And he said, it's meant to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's like, that's true. Like, if you feel like you, you're doing okay, then you're probably not. And if you feel like you're not doing okay, but you're working on it, you probably are doing okay. <laughs> like that is kind of the gospel in a nutshell. And it's kind of that same thing where it's like, are we supposed to be comfortable in with our single lives? Like, no, we're supposed to actually try and get married and get, have a family and bring more souls to this world. Like it's, it's not a hard concept to believe just because we're not doing what we should doesn't mean we should make other people feel bad about how we are or our state of life, you know, like we shouldn't make, put it on them to make us feel better about ourselves. And well, that's what, one, honestly, that's what liberal Twitter is. Well, and th this is one of the biggest problems facing our generation is we've been brought up believing that we should always feel good about where we're at in life and always feel good about, you know, how we are and what our choices have been. And I just don't think that's a healthy way to look at your life. If you ever want to achieve something greater than what you are now, you have to have recognitions that what you are now is not enough. And everyone wants to say, well, I'm enough. And I, I don't want to believe I'm enough. That's the whole motivation to go out there and change is the recognition that I'm not quite enough. It doesn't mean I'm a piece of crap, but it, but it, it means that, you know, there's things that I can change and improve on and maybe have a better outcome in the long run 
than just staying at the status quo. Didn't so. you share something with me the other day that talked about that sign, you are enough and how like, <laughs> like somebody was saying, like, I've never met like a, a stable person who has one of these hanging in their house or something like that. That, that sounds like something I would say, but I, I think you it must have gotten that from someone else. But but that definitely I can agree with that person. Like the you are enough, period. And it's like, you know what? I've actually never met somebody that's emotionally stable that actually tells themselves that. Yeah, ironically, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I don't know what the what the fear our generation has of 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 acknowledging some shortcomings in their some own discrepancies, life. right? Yeah. But you're right; they're they're supposed to be motivating factors. Yeah, like I understand that a lot of people don't see it that way, but it's like you have the power to correct it, so correct it now. Whatever, easier said than done. But like, if if everything was easy, then everybody would do it. Like my mom's my mom said that. Like she said that multiple times she's like if it was easy then everybody would do it and it's like you know what that's right you got to do hard things and when you do hard things that's when you're truly starting to accomplish and change your life but regardless nobody wants to well and if it was if if it was easy it wouldn't be meaningful either and you know the whole purpose of life is to pursue meaningful experiences which means doing hard things that are you're uncomfortable with and that push you to to go beyond just feeling good and comfortable about yourself all the time so Exactly. I, we, I think we're starting to get up kind of on our, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what is it on our, uh, soapbox? So sure. Yeah. We'll go ahead and step off the soapbox and sum it up, but, uh, let everybody go and, uh, congrats again on your finishing residency, dude. And, uh, welcome back to Utah in about a week ish. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to make one last round of, uh, Colorado hikes on my bucket list and then, uh, get in my truck and leave the state for good. So you got any 14ers on the docket? Yep. The last day I'm here, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to my friend's wedding and then I'm going to wake up the next morning and, uh, do a 14er and then drive to Utah. So that's, uh, how many have you done since you've been in, U- in Colorado? I've done a handful. I mean, there's like 50 for 50. They're over 50. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and Utah they're, doesn't they're, have one. There's a lot. I put a lot of my focus into like going to the lake destinations and I haven't done as many 14ers, but I've done three or four of them. So yeah, I'm not a big like 14er guy. Like I've never done one and I don't care. I'll be honest. Like I don't, I, I, I would rather go for the views 10 times. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then 14ers have great views, but there's better bang for your, there's better bang for your bucks. hike, bang for your buck hikes out there that I've kind of focused on, but yeah, I'm a big ROI guy when it comes to physical exertion. For sure. Yeah. All right, Chaser. Well, appreciate it. And uh, we'll go ahead and let you go, man. All right. Have a good one. There's an hourglass sitting on my table. I'm watching as everything's changing. My mind goes to a different time. Old love. I remember falling so madly. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right out of view If it takes time